Meantime, Anne, what are you doing up here with us? Thank you, Jim. Good morning. My name is Anne Hunsinger, and I've been here in Summit County for 18 years, or as we locals like to say, especially at this time of year, on a day like today, this is my 19th winter. <laughs> but I'm here today because um, I am the new director, as of November, of the Women's Resource Center of the Rockies. We are a small nonprofit located right in Dillon, just a stone's throw from the post office. And our mission is to touch the lives of women who are in a crisis pregnancy situation through our counseling and our support services. We offer free pregnancy testing and ultrasounds, but more importantly, we give accurate information to women about their choices when they're in an unplanned pregnancy. They're choice to parent their child or to put it up for adoption or to go through, um, pursue an abortion. And we want them to have the most accurate information possible so that they can make an informed decision and choose what will be best for them and for their baby. And we pray with God's grace that they will choose life. Now, as a woman, um, myself, who many years ago was involved in a crisis pregnancy situation, and I know firsthand the, the emotional pain and the devastation of um, abortion. I have always had a heart for this ministry. And I've been involved um, with the Women's Resource Center since um, 2007, 2008, when we opened the center under the direction of Lisa Suba. And um, so uh, nationally, Statistics say that almost 50% of all pregnancies are unplanned, and of those, about 30% end in abortion. And so um, today, I'm here because next Sunday, um, the 19th, which is the, the third Sunday in January, has been set aside as Sanctity of Life Sunday. It was established by Focus on the Family, I believe in 1993, to um, call attention to um, the lives of unborn children through abortion and women who are in this crisis pregnancy situation. So how can you, as a DCC congregation, help the Women's Resource Center and um, help and be involved with Sanctity of Life Sunday? Um, number one, you can pray for me and the Women's Resource Center and the women that we serve. Number two, you can tell people about our center and our services. We always, um, so many people just don't know that we're there and that we can help them. And number three, you can um, donate and help to finance our ministry, help us to sustain our ministry through your financial donation. And we have these beautiful baby bottles and they are out in the narthex. And you can take a bottle and you fill it up with spare change or bills or write us a check, um, and we are asking to have the bottles come back um, by February 16th, but we will accept any time money that, we'll accept them any time that you bring them back. And we're also always looking for um, people to be monthly donors to help support our ministry. So that's why I'm here, and thank you for letting me speak. What does sanctity of life mean? How many of you don't even know what that means? Sanctity of life. You know, the shortcut means, it just means that we think life is very important. 
right? That's what it means. And uh, all through all the time that we're up here in God's Word, aren't we always talking about how life-giving God is? God is the giver of life, so it makes sense that we would stop and honor that. We wanted to take a moment and share one of the ministries, and we're grateful that you do this ministry. Thank you for that. I'm going to pray for you in just a second, but uh, pray about whether or not you'd like to support. This is one of those ministries that just fits right smack in the heart of who we are as believers and what's written on the glass there, caring community, going forth, sharing Christ with the world. I mean, this is, this is right smack in the middle of what we hold to be important. So let me pray for you. Father, I would like to pray for Anne. First of all, I would just like to say thank you for um, the journey, her own journey, where you brought about healing and redemption for her personally. Uh, what a testimony to the rest of us, Lord. We have confidence that you will help us through our own struggles because of, of taking Anne and others like her through their journey. But thank you, Lord, for her ministry, for the Women's Resource Center right here in our own county. I pray, Father, that you would bless this ministry. You would bless it richly and take care of their financial needs, Lord, and give them plenty of opportunities to, to, uh, to reach out to people, to young mothers and mothers who are struggling in crisis and trying to make sense of all this. And give Anne wisdom as she directs and leads this. Thank you for what you've done through her and are doing in her and in her ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. So find Anne and ask her questions. Talk to her about it. Thank you. Well, last week we started a, uh, started a series, a story that we find ourselves in. Uh, but first, for those of you that are reading the Bible, you're probably somewhere in the last uh, third of Genesis, is my guess, if you're reading it straight through. And um, wow, isn't the Bible filled with all kinds of uh, intriguing stories? We have people that are lying, murdering, uh, manipulating, deceiving, everything you can think of is happening in the Bible. And Genesis just begins to lay the foundation for that, doesn't it? That, whoa. This creation is desperately in need of redemption, isn't it? It didn't take long from the time Adam and Eve ate the wrong fruit for the creation and humanity to just go right off the cliff and down. It happened very quickly. In Genesis is that story of unfolding one right after the other, this cascading effect of sin. And uh, it really sets the stage for uh, what God has to do. He has two choices. He can destroy it. Glad he didn't do that. Or he can uh, redeem it and renew it. Aren't we grateful that he has a God, that we have a God who loves to redeem and renew us? It's wonderful, isn't it? I understand that the ladies' Bible study on Thursday morning that meets here actually has a group that uh, they're going to get together. And uh, just for those that are reading the Bible, just to have a place to discuss it. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to read when you go through this Bible. I know several of you have read it. So when you get to those places, that's okay. If you get to a place where you look at it and you read the section and you think, I don't have any, any clue what's going on here, well, welcome to my world. That's what happens. Lots of those places. The second thing is uh, let me remind you that as we begin the uh, searching as a congregation for what the Lord would have for us and asking the question, what ministry should we be doing that we're not doing, say three years from today, um, I want you to pray. I'm going to ask you, invite you, implore you, beg you to be willing to pray for this process because we're really seeking what the Lord wants us to do. We have limited resources and limited people. We can't just do everything. When we look at the state of Summit County and we ask the question, what are some of the ministries we should consider doing in the next three years? That's a very important question. It's going to take a lot of discussion and thought. 
So I'd like to ask you if you would be willing to commit the next six months or thereabouts to pray for the congregation, pray for our elders, pray for the staff, pray, pray for all of us that we would hear God's voice well. And, uh, and if you're willing to do that, put your name on a sign-up sheet out there on the Welcome Center, and uh, Ruth Carroll will contact you, and she'll feed you information on what to pray for and how to pray, and that sort of thing. So be thinking about that. Okay, last week we started this question on the story, and uh, I started it with a, an earlier question, what made the first century Christians so excited? What made them unstoppable in their faith? It didn't matter what they went through, burning at the stake, prison, shipwreck, it doesn't matter. Hebrews 11, sawn in two. Wow, I can't even imagine. They were unstoppable. They had figured out what they were willing to die for. And they were willing to die for what they discovered to be the truth about Jesus. What made that? What led to that level of excitement? And I theorize, I propose to you that it's because they knew the story. The early converts were Jewish people, and they had been wrestling with these Hebrew scriptures for most of their life, and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, the Messiah was with them. He was here. We touched him. We beheld him. We saw him. We ate with him. And so these early converts, as they went around, their basic message was real simple. Jesus was raised from the dead, and you cannot tell us otherwise because we have seen it. That's a pretty powerful message. We tried to create some of that during Advent to give you a sense of that anticipation to look forward to the birth of the King. And then at Christmas Eve, we celebrated that together. Remember that? That's just a small glimpse of what they would have experienced. So I think it's very important that you understand the story that we are part of. Every one of you belongs to the story. So last Sunday, we did the overview from creation to new creation. Today, we're going to start digging down, and we're going to start where God starts. And where does God start? Where? Creation. He starts with creation, which is in itself a phenomenal story. Of all the places to start, why would he start with creation? Why that? So let's take just a moment and kind of set the context for the whole creation account, so you understand uh, at least why I think God started there in Genesis 1. Remember the story, the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 plus years. They uh, had not heard from God during that time. He was silent. They had heard about him because the stories had wandered down. They knew about his stories to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they hadn't met God yet. This is around 1500 B.C., so the, one of the key questions we're asking is, why did God reveal this right now in the history of the world, 1500 B.C.? Why not 2000 B.C. with Abraham? Why not 700 B.C. with, uh, with Daniel or, or any of the prophets? Why 1500 B.C.? So the Israelites have just been led out of the uh, exodus, out of slavery to Egypt, and they're now three months later, they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and God begins to speak. It's a fascinating story, Exodus 19 and 20, of how God introduces himself to this young nation. But these, there's some problems. One is this young nation of Israelites, they were more Egyptian than they were um, believers in the one true God because they had been raised with the pantheon of gods that was in Egypt. We see that story with the golden bull, don't we? The golden calf that happened right in the middle of all this. They weren't sure what to do, so they made a calf, began to worship just like they were taught in Egypt. 
So they're more Egyptian in their theology than they are believers in the one true God. So God has to begin the journey of reshaping their identity so that they become his prized possession, his people that would represent him to the rest of the world. And where does he start? In the beginning. It's a great place to start. But why is that so significant? Because all the ancient nations had, had um, slightly different perspectives between themselves of how this whole creation came about, but they were radically different than what God says. For instance, almost all the ancient nations believed that there was this war. They emphasized the gods as gender beings, so you have the male and the female gods. Um, humanity was very, very rarely discussed even. All the focus was on these gendered beings who were kind of at war with one another. And the question is, who's the most powerful one? And so there was this war between this older male god and the younger male god. They all have these stories. And the younger male god triumphed. But out of that crisis, out of that warfare, out of that hostile environment, somehow, I don't know how, but creation, voila, came about. That's how it started. So our God starts in the very beginning and says, let me tell you the truth about what really happened. The truth is, I made it. In the beginning, God. God. So he starts right in the very first sentence. I am the one true God. And I made this creation. And I made it for you. How different that was than what they had heard. The ancient gods had all kinds of Things uh, the, the religions believed. The gods were, um, you should be afraid of the gods. You should live in fear. Make sure you offer up your sacrifices so they won't be ticked off at you. They won't be angry. And our God says, well, you made a mistake. I'll take care of that. Ultimately, that's, a, that's what his son did. Their gods said, you don't work hard enough. Work harder. But our God, the one true God, said, no, you work hard enough. I want you to rest regularly. We'll call that the Sabbath. Just rest. While you're resting, I will take care of all your crops, your animals, your families. You don't have to worry about marauding armies. I'll protect you. Isn't that a great God who steps in and says that? Just rest. And so hopefully you can begin to see that the message that's occurring in early part of Genesis is reshaping their identity away from what they had come out of the Exodus with in their Egyptian thinking. And they wrestled with this their whole time. So in the middle of this, God reveals some very important things. The whole creation account uh, brought comfort to the ancient nation of Israel because they saw that we serve a God who brings order out of chaos. He brings purpose out of insignificance. And that's what the creation account is doing. All these days, one, two, three, four, five, six, where he's communicating a language they would grasp, language that would make sense to them. Because he starts off with the earth was formless and void. It was chaos everywhere. And that was fearful to the ancient people. The Egyptians believed that the sun god, Ra, rose in the morning and brought order to the world. And then at nighttime, it passed into the netherworld and everything erupted back into chaos again. So for the ancient Egyptians, creation was every 24 hours. So they couldn't wait for the sun to come up when everything was ordered again. 
the Israelites brought some of that into their own thinking. For instance, they were afraid of the deep, dark places. Darkness and light is imagery that occurs all throughout the Bible. They were afraid of the dark oceans and what was below. So the Israelites never had a navy, for instance. They were afraid of that, which, by the way, might shed some light on Peter's request to walk across the water to Jesus because he's asking for something far greater than a scientific miracle. I can stand on top of the water. He's asking about overcoming fears because they were terrified of what was below. So when you get to the new creation, you begin to see that all these things are dealt with, done away. So God begins to answer the question right up front. Let me tell you the truth. I am the one true God, and I made all of this, and I made it for you. So that's where we fit. So the Bible starts with creation, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it ends with a new creation, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And in between these two starting and ending point, we find this storyline that becomes very important. The storyline is that the one true living God who created the entire universe, all of creation, has committed himself to the total redemption and restoration of this creation. Something we don't usually talk about in our sermons and in our churches. We're a little bit nervous about the whole environmental thing. I understand that. And uh, yet, this is a critical theme. This is a very important part. The creation and care of creation is a major theme in theology that flows from creation to new creation. He has committed himself to the total redemption and restoration of this entire creation, which he created. So let's go back to the beginning. That's where he starts. We care for creation. Well, we're made in the image of God. That's where he starts. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1. Use a Bible in your pew if you want to. I know you have them on your smartphones and tablets. and Get them out and, and follow along with me. It's an amazing thing. After he's basically made everything except the humans, in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, Let us make human beings in our image. Okay, pause. We are humans before we are Christians. Let us not forget that. We are humans before we are Christians. Redemption makes us better humans. Redemption makes us better humans. So Nick, as you conform to the image of Christ, what that means is you're becoming more of who God made you to be. That's a cool thing because I happen to like you. For the people that I don't like, I hope he changes. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> You get the point? You understand what's happening? Jesse, God made you wonderful. And by the way, this is unique to Christianity. He made you wonderful. It was very good, he says, when he looked at humanity. And so that being transformed into the image of Christ, that's language that the Bible uses, what that means is, Jesse, you're becoming more of who you were meant to be. That's better and better. That's better and better. Rob, Darla, all of you. We could go around and name every one of you. And that's what we'd say. So redemption is about making you better, a better human. That's at the very core. And we look at Jesus, who is the perfect human, to find out what that looks like. And then we're being transformed into that image. So God holds us accountable for our humanity as much as our Christianity. So right off the bat, here's the very first thing he says about this new race, this new part of creation. Then God said, verse 26, let us, make us, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, 
Why? For what purpose? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky. So they may rule over creation. Right off the bat, we find out that being made in God's image not only enables us to exercise dominion well, but it entitles us. This is, one, this is our very first assignment. This is our responsibility as humans, is to care well for this creation. Then in verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, and he says two things, subdue it and rule over it. Two verbs, subdue this creation and rule over this creation. These two verbs, when you put them together, subdue and rule, they have the sense of imposing one's will upon another. This idea of dominating by force, to take control of chaos and do something good with it. Now, you remember the creation story, because this is in, submerged in a context here, that the earth was formless and void. Chaos was everywhere, right? And God began to bring order. And so what he did on the earth was he created this garden. And it's very careful, the scriptures, to give us the boundaries of this garden where there's now order. And God put the man and the woman in the garden to rule over it, to care for it. Um, I'm not sure all of creation experienced that. I think that was a protected place where he could give these two commands. Now begin the journey of bringing the creation under control, just like he did, bringing uh, order out of chaos. Now, these two words do not have the sense of brutality, so don't swing the pendulum the other way. We're not free to, to, to take advantage of it and, and damage and hurt the creation. It's just the opposite. But they clearly reveal, I think, that creation is subservient to those whom God has blessed. We have a mission. We have a responsibility. And this responsibility is entrusted to no other part of creation. No other creature has this responsibility. It's given to us. We are delegated a form of God's own kingly rule. Just as God rules, we rule. So here's what that means. We are not tyrants. We are kings. And our very first assignment is right here. That's our first assignment. You get it? That's why he created us. To rule, subdue, to rule the earth. Well, there's a little bit more than that. When you look in Genesis 2.15, you get another clue. The Lord God took the man and put him in the, in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This idea of work has at its very core the idea of serving. We are to serve the creation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying worship the creation. That's an aberration in today's world. We never worship the creation. We worship the one true God. But we are to serve the communion. Similarly, the, the idea of taking care of has the idea of protecting, keeping something safe. Okay? So we are put in God's creation to serve and look out for the creation. Now, here's what that implies. When you're given a task, somebody gives you a child and says, would you watch my child, babysit my child, take care of them? Uh, the primary reason you have that is for the benefit of the child, not your benefit. Right? This implies that our primary reason for ruling the earth is for the earth's benefit, 
not ours. We are here and put in charge for the benefit of the earth. Just like children can't take care of themselves, the earth can't take care of itself. That's our responsibility. And this is our first mission given to us by God, to take care of this creation. So then the question is why? Why did God do it this way? Well, ultimately, it's because the creation is what reflects His glory, bright and strong. What does Psalm 19 say? The creation, the heavens, shout the glory of God. So I'm going to give you four thoughts, four reasons I think that God did this. The most obvious one is the earth provides for us, doesn't it? We, we derive our sustenance from the earth. We often, uh, we actually derive our value, our pleasure, all of that from being here. I mean, where better a place to live than, my goodness, right here. I already know that tomorrow uh, there's going to be a bunch of you on the slopes, if not today, as soon as we're done, those are, that are not watching the Broncos play. And winning, I might add. But aside from that, <laughs> right? Don't we derive our sustenance from the earth? It takes care of us, and so we should take care of it. Now, again, hear me correctly. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about worship. That's something very different. I'm talking about we have a responsibility to care for the earth. But the creation exists, a second reason, for the praise and glory of God. For the praise and glory of God. We could go to innumerable verses that highlight this. It exists for His praise and glory. God created all of this to reflect His glory. To whom? Us. To the other created species. Animals, plants, angelic hosts. It's all designed for God to reveal himself. In the basic theology class, we're actually going to talk about creation and what does general revelation all about in a couple weeks. It's designed to bring his, to reflect him glory. But there's a third reason that we should care for it because the creation suffers with us. I'm going to read a passage out of Hosea chapter 4. The the creation is interwoven with our story. Our stories come together, and this creation suffers because of what happens with us and because of what we do. So listen to this out of Hosea chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. So this is God bringing a charge, an indictment against the Israelites. There is no faithfulness, no love, there is no acknowledgement of God in the land. Sometimes that sounds like today, doesn't it? No faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, because of this, the land dries up. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away and the beasts of the fields and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea are swept away. It's because of our godlessness. Now, this is written in an ancient world. They, hadn't, they didn't have such things as acid rain, all the global issues we're facing today. But we can clearly extrapolate that. When I first moved to Denver 34 years ago with my, just out of the Navy and my young wife, she had cystic fibrosis, a lung disease, we moved here because there were only six places in the United States that specialized in CF. 
So Denver was one of them. The problem is all six places were very high on the polluted list. Denver was on every list that the government kept. Remember the brown cloud for those of you that are older? And so we went to the Meteorological Society and asked them, help us figure out where the best place to live. So they pulled out all these charts and showed us where all the prevailing winds came from and which way they went and said right here, southeast Aurora, as far as you can get. So we went to southeast Aurora so that she could live. And every time we took her down to University Hospital, she would get sick because of the pollution. It was so bad. Today, it's not, Denver's not on any environmental list. I love being part of a country that is concerned about our environment. I love it. If you've ever been to other countries where Christianity has had little or no influence, you know what I'm talking about. Water's not a source of life. It's a transportation system. Let's throw our trash, our dead animals, our sewage. Let's just dump it in the air and the people downstream can worry about it. Well, except that there's people upstream doing the same thing. Pollution is terrible in other parts of the world. I, I, I'm glad to live in a place where this is important. I do not want to swing the pendulum to the point where we worship creation. That's wrong. Where we begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. Romans 1. That's a mistake. But the creation suffers with us and because of us. And the fourth reason why it's important to take care of creation is simply because God's redemption takes care of creation. This is his passion. He made it. It's his artwork. It's his handiwork. It's not ours. We don't own the earth. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. He's simply giving us the task of caring for it. And if it's so important to God that the Bible is filled with this imagery and this language, then shouldn't it at least be important to us as well? God's redemption includes creation. We are not redeemed apart from creation. Now hear that carefully. We're not redeemed apart from creation. We are redeemed as part of creation. I'm going to take you through a couple of passages here. Psalm 96 in Psalm 96, we are inseparably linked together with creation. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Here's a verse that's familiar to us. Declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. No one compares to the one true God. For all the gods of the nations are nothing but idols. They're empty. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. God's pictured as his sanctuary is all of creation. You have this splendor, this majesty, this glory everywhere. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. That includes us, but it's more than us. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Go ask Tim Glasgow how that happens. It's a very intriguing discussion. Let all of creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, 
He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. We are inseparably linked together. And then I'm going to read a very famous passage to you, well known, out of Colossians chapter 1. Talking about Jesus. Probably, I believe, a hymn out of the ancient church, early church. This language here. But let's pause before we read it. When we talk about theology, here's how we move. Here's how the direction we move. We start with the individual. What has God done for me? In fact, that takes up most of our teaching time, our sermons. And then we move from the individual to the church. What is our responsibility in the church? Uh, Surprisingly, very few churches actually get to that unless they're telling you you need to serve. But But what does it mean to be connected in the community of faith? And then we move from there to the world around us, don't we? And what's our responsibility to the world? And then we move from there to heaven or the creations that are beyond this world. But in Colossians 1, Paul did just the opposite. And this is Paul's normal pattern. uh, Colossians 1.15, the Son, we're talking about Jesus, is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So he starts with creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Now he's moved to the earth where we live. Visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, And he is the head. Now he goes from here to the church. So he starts with creation, moves to the world, now he's moving to the church. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and to reconcile through him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Verse 21, once you, now he gets to the individual. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We find our identity and our purpose by looking at the broader creation where God reveals his glory. So Paul's normal pattern is to start with the creation, and then move to us so that it makes sense. As Americans, we start the opposite. We start with the individual. And then finally, one more verse, Romans 8. The final reason, the final reason that we should, we should take care of creation. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Actually, I started too late. Let me go back to 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing, uh, worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting on us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All of creation, all of it, is suffering because of our decision, our fall. We have a responsibility. That's what I'm trying to say. All of creation is waiting for us. Remember where I started? That God is very interested. This is the storyline. The one true living God who created the universe has committed himself to the total redemption and restoration of the whole creation. The gospel is for all of creation, not just us. It's the good news that God has not forgotten his creation. He has come back to rescue us. That's the story of Jesus. God's redemptive mission includes creation. And if it's important enough for God to highlight it, shouldn't it be important enough for us to consider it? I'm not talking about worship of creation. I'm talking about respecting the creation deeply and being very aware that God made this creation for his glory, for our pleasure, but also for our responsibility. So the question I'd like to leave you with since we are asking the question over the next three years of what type of ministry should we be doing that we're not doing, what should we be doing regarding creation care that we're not doing? I don't know. I know it's a high value in this county. I don't think we should shy away from it because there are, there are strong groups that, groups that have very strong beliefs about worshiping the creation or caring for the creation. I don't think we should shy away from it. I think we should lead the, the, lead the pack. This is a central part of our theology. We care for this earth because God gave it to us, don't we? It's a wonderful place. I love living in Summit County. I loved it when it started snowing this morning. This is fantastic. I love it when the sun clears tomorrow, hopefully, and I can see the mountains. I don't like driving to Denver <laughs> when it's like this. But you understand what I'm saying? That we should, as believers, we should lead the discussion. So what should we be doing that we're not doing? I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and take our offering and the musicians to come up and uh, bless us with their leadership and gifts. I, I love when the musicians, different ones, come up. Thank you, Rob, Barry, and Becky. So just be pondering that. Be pondering that. What should we be doing regarding creation care that we're not doing? I'm sure there's something. Let me pray for the offering. Father, this uh, offering that we're about to take and receive, we do it in your name because you've blessed us. Thank you, Lord, for blessing these people here in this church because they are blessing our church. Thank you for giving us Dillon Community Church. And Father, I pray for the people. I know you've already put on their hearts what you want them to do. I pray that you would bless them richly. Thank you for their sacrifice. And Lord, our promise to you, as it always is, is to use these monies very well for your glory and honor. In your son's name we pray. Amen.